0: And So welcome, Mike. It's so great to have you here on Behind the Line. I'm so excited that you said yes to doing this interview and having this conversation. I, um, I'm i finding that I'm having a lot of conversations in my work and in um, conversations with friends I know who are working in frontline work more and more about um, the burnout rates that are happening right now and the need for kind of a backup plan. And I've been calling it an escape hatch for years um, and so I'm really excited to have you on to chat about what some of your experiences have been and uh, some of the pieces that you've put in place to have some outs for yourself here and there to kind of balance the work. So I wonder to start off if you can maybe share with us a little bit about what you do, what kinds of things have brought you into the work that you do, and what makes you feel passionate about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so thanks for having me on. Um I got started in firefighting completely by accident. And that throws a lot of people off when I say that. Um, growing up, all I wanted to do was be a professional athlete. I was, you know, your stereotypical kid, got really into sports. That's what I wanted to do. As I got older, went through high school, college, I ended up going on to play a couple of years in the professionals as a soccer player. Long story short, got hurt. That was the end of that and had to figure out what to do to move on. And I wasn't really sure what to do. I knew I didn't really want to do anything involved with soccer anymore. And a friend of mine literally just told me, at the time he was living in Atlanta, he just said, hey, you know, the Atlanta fire guys come in here. They seem pretty cool. You should try that. So I started, Mm -hmm. went to EMT school, medic school, went through fire school, ended up getting hired shortly thereafter. And uh, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Um, Like I said, it was completely by accident. This was something that I never set out to do. I know a lot of people get into fire because they're family or they're close friends or something like that. But that wasn't me. Um, I kind of stumbled mm-hmm. into it by accident and here I am. And I'm currently, I work as a firefighter and a paramedic. Uh, our department runs both EMS and fire and rescue. We do kind of a little bit of everything. Um, okay. So that's my current role right
0: now. Very cool. Well, and then you kind of balance that role with some other interests and pursuits, don't you?
1: I do. So I, I typically stay pretty busy. Um, I actually own the website firefighter now and the YouTube channel firefighter now. Um, and I do that a lot. It takes up a lot of time. And Mm -hmm. I started that for the essentially the very reason that I kind of told you earlier, when I first got started in firefighting, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what Mm. to do. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was expected of you as a new firefighter. And I realized the resources out there, there really wasn't much out there. And so as I kept going, I thought, well, there's nobody saying, there's nobody speaking to young firefighters or people that are interested in the fire service. And something you'll hear as you spend more and more time around the fire service is you'll hear the older firefighters complain about the younger generation. And
0: Hmm. while
1: some of their complaints might be valid, you're not changing the younger generation. They're not going away. They're not going to they're not just going to do what you want them to do just because you said that. So I think the best way to prepare and, and look out for the future of the fire service is to give people a realistic expectation of what they're walking into. I mean, I'm sure in your work you see all the time people, uh, people think that the fire service and public safety is one thing, and a lot of that is from television and movies, and it is so fake and so not real. Um, and so that's why I started firefighter now. And that's why I started the channel and to give some basic instruction for somebody that either knows nothing about the fire service, but they think it's interesting. Uh, people that are young and thinking about getting into it or people that are just kind of brand new, like my, my channel and my stuff isn't directed to the guy or the girl that's been on 20 years at New York, right? They, they, right. There's probably not a ton I'm going to tell them that they don't already know. But when you're new and you're in your first six months, you might not know what's expected. of You You might not know why yeah. this guy or this boss or this officer is giving you a hard time. And I'm trying to help sort that out for the people that are trying to work their way into the job.
0: Hmm, I love that. I think that's so important, kind of regardless of what we're talking about. Like, I was actually having a conversation with a parent at my son's baseball yesterday who's a teacher. Uh, He teaches uh, middle and high school aged kids uh, at an inner city school near Vancouver. And he was sharing about how one of the things he spends a lot of time doing is talking with his students about how their brains work. And right. Like when you understand that your prefrontal cortex isn't turned on or developed at all yet suddenly it makes more sense that I have a hard time making choices and I have, right? Like having basic awareness of what we're walking into, what we're walking in with, what our resources are, what the decision-making points look like, the more awareness we have of various things, whether it's a teenager understanding what their brain is doing or a new firefighter understanding what they're getting into. I find that that's like nine tenths of my job it's just helping people have greater awareness of what's going on in their bodies and their brains, what, like why they feel how they feel. Cause when we have awareness, we have so much more power in making concrete choices or feeling a greater sense of power, even when we don't have a lot of control over things because we get to recognize what we do have some amount of control over, which is how I perceive the information, right? Like if I have that chief who's treating me in a certain way, I can tell that story through a lens of like poor me and right. you know victimization and feeling beat up and all this stuff, or maybe based on the information that you're sharing, I get a different perspective of that and I can tell that story through a different lens that maybe doesn't make me feel so personally persecuted by it yeah. and gives me the power to make different choices about how I engage with it so that it doesn't feel so like degrading, it makes it differently tolerable to move through that over time.
1: Sure. Sure. And and there's, there's so much behind what you just said, because a lot of that is their expectations going in. But I think a lot of that too is, I mean, culture's changing. It's changed drastically over. I mean, I'm, totally. I'm 35 and the way I grew up and things, the way things that were and weren't okay to say and do and stuff is drastically different from what it is now. Whereas something 20 years ago, like these older firefighters, might have perceived somebody acting towards them a certain way and saying, okay, well, this is just what happens. Now it's completely offensive or or whatever. And I'm not necessarily making excuses for bad behavior. What I am saying is that we need to understand that there's people from different generations. And it's one thing to say, um, you know, be empathetic, be understanding of other people, but it's another thing to do it. And it's, it's so and I think all of us struggle with it but nobody ever wants to be the one that says yep yeah, that's my fault fo- that's my fault right yeah, if you walk into totally. a group of people and the entire group is terrible and mean to you chances are the problem is you hmm. and uh, that's a that's a very tough i mean i've I've been in that situation where I think oh this is no good this is a bad fit and was well, it them or is it me because chances hmm. are it's probably me you know if you're if nobody likes you chances are the group isn't at fault it might be you
0: Yeah, fair. I think it's always this like really interesting conversation, right? Because I think there's the workplace dynamic, but there's also the systems level overarching it dynamic. And so one of the things I find I talk a lot about on Behind the Line and in my work with first responders and frontline workers clinically, is that we also have to remember that we're in something that's toxic quite high up the ladder, right? Like we're dealing with bureaucratic systems that are entrenched in a lot of their own kinds of toxic processes and ways of engaging um, all the way up the kind of political ladder into how we're funded and where that comes from and who's lobbying for what to get that in, right? Like there's so much nuance to the system that sometimes what we feel on the frontline level, it's hard to even name and know, is it me or is it them? Because it might be all of us kind of tied into this system that's just so super fucking broken. (laughs) We don't, like none of us have power in really shifting it or eliminating all of it. And so we have to be conscious about like, what can I do? What can't I do? What's in my power? What's not in my power? And so that question of like, what is mine in this? What can I do differently to bring this into a different direction versus what do workplace people need to do versus what is all the other stuff that shapes this for all of us that maybe sets it in a hard direction for everybody?
1: Yeah. And Well, and that's another thing. So you touched on something that that's interesting is you you talked about an environment where there's only so much you can do and that's something i want to encourage especially younger firefighters obviously we're talking about in the context. i'm assuming we're talking about in the context of public safety and these are all government entities generally there's some private sector fire departments but that that's not really that prevalent you're right i mean there's a lot of tension between administrators, chiefs, things like that. And what are typically referred to as line guys. Um, yeah. but these chiefs have a difficult job and I'm not saying there's not bad chiefs, but totally. I mean, they're getting beat up from city hall and from the government. And then they're getting beat up mm-hmm. down here from all the line guys who, Hey, you used to be one of us. Why aren't you on our side? And it's like, well, there's more going on here. But the other thing that I would say is if you find yourself, whoever public safety or not mm-hmm. in a position where you're, bringing forth your best efforts and you're bringing forth the best of yourself and, and all of those things. And you find that it's unwarranted and you find that it actually is a bad culture. It's not one of these narcissistic things where it's everybody else is the problem. And it's, right. it's truly not you, that it really is those other things. And that's a hard thing to figure out. But if you figure that out, leave, get out of there. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing, especially in the fire service. i found that if you say, if you at some point, and I know we'll probably get to this a little bit later. If you decide, hey, you know what? This just isn't for me. This isn't a good fit. There's a lot of people that don't treat you well after that. Well, what do you mean? This is the brotherhood. There's this, there's that. And while all of those things are true, it's okay if it's not for you. Move on. It doesn't mean this is cut out for everybody and that's okay. But if you find and you really, really believe that the problem isn't you, that it's your organization, get out of there. Leave. Have more respect for yourself. Do something where your work and your contributions are going to be valued for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you're right. We're going to circle back there because I think that that's super valuable, but I want to make sure that we're kind of following a progression here. So when you entered the work, knowing that this wasn't like you weren't like one of those legacy guys whose granddad and dad and everyone was in the fire service. When you think about what your expectations were walking in the door, what did you think it was going to be like? What did you imagine you were going to do in a day? What did you think it was going to feel like to be a firefighter? What was, what was the anticipation?
1: Good question. Um, and this is something I joke around with some of the guys I work with, with a lot. And let me preface all this by saying my experience in fire is not necessarily going to be the same as everybody else's experience. Totally. Fire. And I have family members, uh, I don't want to say what department they work for, that work for very large, very, very large departments in the U.S. on the West Coast. And their experience and what they do on a day-to-day is very different than what I do on a day-to-day because, like I said earlier, I work for a smaller department uh, in a suburb setting where we do a lot of EMS. Um, But what I went into this doing is one of the things that I was always told is, hey, if you don't want a desk job, if you want to be a part of a team, if you want to do all these things, you should get into fire because you never know what you're going to get into. And in my Mm -hmm. experience, it is not that at all. The majority where I work is a city where there's a lot of elderly patients and they need services as well. Um, And EMS is who they call. And so a lot of the stuff that I do on the day to day is very repetitive, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. And there's good and bad to that. Um, You don't want to be the 60 year old guy who's been breaking their back in New York for Thirty-five years and can't retire for whatever reason, and you could barely what right? There's there's something yeah. to be said for that, but there's also something to be said for. Well, wait a minute. I always watched, you, you know, the Chicago Fire wasn't around, and I actually never really watched those shows. But everything yes. that, <laughs> but like
0: whatever <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah, whatever,
1: whatever those shows were, um, uh, you know, all of those things, you know, movie backdraft, whatever, um give you this idea that, oh man, every day is going to be crazy and you're going to be fighting these huge fires and it's going to be explosions and breaking windows. And it's not that. Now, if you work for New York and you're in like a busy ladder company, maybe that is your day to day. But most firefighting, considering at least in the US, and I'm assuming Canada is fairly similar, yeah the majority of it's volunteer. The majority of it is very mundane, very boring. And if you work in EMS, if you work ask anybody that's worked in EMS, the EMS system, I'm assuming is similar in Canada to the United States. I don't know that for a fact is abused horribly horribly mm-hmm. abused in the sense of the overwhelming majority of emergency calls are not emergencies at all. So that that yeah. that was my expectation and then I walked into reality and I thought oh man this is this is not what I thought it was. Not bad but not what I thought yeah. it was at all.
0: Fair. So it sounds like that's kind of the key thing that surprised you in terms of the difference of what you thought you were walking in the door to versus what you got. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious what the impacts of that were for you. Like when you imagine going into the work, expecting all of this like excitement and, you know, crazy adrenaline rush and what you get is a lot of geriatric patients that you're doing EMS services for. um, Did that change anything for you in terms of how it feels to be in the work or how sustainable the work feels for you in terms of like a long-term career path?
1: So... As far as sustainability, it's extremely sustainable, in in my opinion. Um, As far as what did it change for me? Well, it definitely put things, obviously, it's like a snap back to reality. Um, But what it didn't, I guess the biggest shock of that is because dealing with EMS, and in fire you get this too, the, the constant, how do I say this? I call it everyday tragedy. You'll you'll yeah. you'll meet people in public safety that love to talk about well. This one time I went on this one call and it was crazy and it you know I saw blood and guts mm-hmm. everywhere. I don't like to do that. And I've had people ask mm-hmm. me on the channel all the time, like tell me tell your worst story, your worst story.
0: What's the word? Totally.
1: Because this turns into like a one-upping thing. Like well, one time mm-hmm. I saw this and I saw this kid get hurt. Like that's not mm-hmm. enjoyable to talk about. That's not a good thing to to dwell on. The everyday tragedy, though, I think is one of the most bothersome things. And by everyday tragedy, I'll give you an example. You you see an older couple that's been married for the last 60 years. And the one wakes up and their husband or wife is laying in bed and they passed away through the night. And you show up and you just kind of see that empty, lost look in their eyes of, this is my best friend. This has been my entire, we raised a family. We built this house. We have all these things Mm -hmm. together. And now they're gone. Now what do I do? And that over time is just like little things, but it it's crushing over time is what's is is yeah. the biggest shock for me or was the biggest yeah. shock for me.
0: Yeah, I've actually heard that from a lot of firefighters um and others. I've heard that from a lot of medics as well. Uh I think what I hear from a lot of firefighters is uh the this isn't what I thought I signed up for. Yeah. Um that's been really consistent. I think even our fire up here doesn't always overlap with EMS in terms of being stationed in the same spaces and having like overlap in terms of a person serving both roles, but they often co-occur on scenes together because medics will request fire to come help to like lift down and move and whatever in certain circumstances. And so there is a lot of parallel in terms of experiencing the scene similarly, although through different hats. Um, And one of the things I've heard from a lot of firefighters was I thought I was going to fight fires, but that's maybe, maybe 10% of what I do. Most of what I do is show up to MVAs and extract, or I show up to old people's houses and carry them downstairs so that a medic can take them off to the hospital. Um, And those scenes, while it's something they're kind of prepared for, it's not what they signed up for. Um, or at least not knowingly what they thought they were signing up for. Right. And so they it feels different. And the thing I think is consistent across all who participate in that on-scene, in-the-home moment um, has also been consistently this feedback that it's not necessarily the blood and guts and gore because to some extent that is what I knew I was signing up for, yeah. right? Like I yeah. was the person who knew that was part of the job. Right. So I expected that coming in the door. What they don't train you for is the sound of a spouse wailing or the sound of the kids like sobbing. Like they don't train you for what it feels like to carry that sound and that experience. And you're right. That does incrementally add up over time.
1: Yeah. So hands down, without a doubt, the worst part of the job and this is something yeah. that I've talked about on my YouTube channel. I've actually gotten pushback from people saying, how dare you say this? You shouldn't be saying this. You're telling people not to mm-hmm. do it. That's not what I'm saying. But the hands down worst part of it is watching. I, I, I guess what other I don't know what other word to use other than just like agony and suffering yeah. from family members. That is by far the word, you know, seeing a dead body is a dead body. The first few times it's kind of, whoa, what is that? But after totally. you get used to that. But seeing how a family member reacts to something like that, I don't think there is any getting used to that personally.
0: Totally. I think that that's like that haunting, chilling kind of feeling, right? Like that exposure to just like absolute human suffering and agony, I think, is the exact right word for it. I think that that is one of two pieces I hear consistently in terms of what really... Uh, grows to shatter careers over time. Um, Again, I think awareness is kind of this really key fundamental concept, and and it shows up here. When we get into the work, we go in with a set of expectations, and the parts of the work that align with our expectations, we seem to do okay with, right? Like we know there's going to be big calls. We know that there's going to be hard calls, but we kind of walk in knowing that, and we're prepared to some extent for what that's going to look like. The pieces we're not prepared for because they don't train us well for it is that piece, right? The agony, suffering, exposure piece that goes beyond the blood and guts and gore. Um, And the other piece is the systemic organizational level stress and trauma, Um, that like toxic workplace environment, the many layers of bureaucratic systems that kind of trickle down. That's the other piece that I think people aren't prepared for. They go in thinking... Well, the, the terminology we use is brotherhood, which suggests to me this like wraparound family kind of vibe, except when I need support, they're not there or the systems kind of failed me or um, as soon as I went off on leave because I had PTSD from that couple of things that happened, no one called, no one followed up, no one checked in um, even like funding pieces or other decision-making pieces, they get really messy and that's the other piece that no one really talks about coming in the door. So the things I hear that tend to burn people right out of their jobs are one of those two things or the combination of those two things.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned Mm -hmm. that. I was actually going to do a video on, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm still working on the outline for it, but I ran a little unscientific poll on my channel Asking people, what yeah. is the what do you hate most about the job? And by far, I can't remember exactly what the response was. I had something like four thousand responses. By far, the winner was internal politics, which it sounds like what yeah. you're talking about. Totally, and yeah. I, I, you know, I'm fortunate that I work at a I work at an awesome place, and I work with a lot of great people. But again, to your point of movies and television and just popular media makes it sound like firefighting and the fire service is one thing. And then when you get there, Mm -hmm. what everybody likes to forget is the fire service just is made up of people and there's really great people and there's really terrible people and everything in between. And the fire service has them all. There's some great firefighters and some awful human beings that are firefighters and everything in between. It's just, totally you'll never escape it. But to go into it with a mentality of, no, everybody's my brother. We're like family. No, you're not. There's a lot of people that will come to support you, but not everybody's going to be that.
0: Totally. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money-back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Totally. So I know you kind of entered the work in maybe a a mildly unconventional way relative to others perhaps, but um, I know that you have had kind of this like side piece of Firefighter Now um, and I know that actually how I came to find out about you was I was Googling about, uh, kind of escape plans and all of that. And you had done a blog post. I can't even remember when it was from, but that's how I tracked you down initially was it was a really solid blog post about ideas of alternative kind of career paths firefighters could do as a bit of a side hustle, um, to help balance what they're doing in their work as firefighters. So, from the lens of either or, whether it's from your own personal experience, having your own side hustle, or from the perspective of knowing that others create side hustles in this kind of work, how did you start thinking about alternatives to remaining in the work on a full-time basis and having something that kind of offsets that a bit? Like what made you start to adjust how you approached your work-life balance?
1: Yeah, so that's a, that's a really good question. So a lot of So I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak and over the course of the last several years, I've started with varying levels of success, multiple businesses. I had an e-commerce business and then I started a little medical device business and that didn't work out. And then I've, I've, so I've done a bunch of random little things and that's just something that I've always wanted to do. That's something I've always had an interest in. And one of the beauties of working in fire is. Well, it's, it's a lot of people think that, well, it's just because of your job and you have days off that that means you, you don't really work. And that's, that's not true. That's a pretty big misnomer, but without going into all of that, you do have sometimes depending on your schedule, consecutive days off and time to get into other things. If that's something you decide you want to do. So I just started right. doing that randomly. I've learned about all sorts of things from, you know, kind of like what you saw with the website you know, SEO, digital type of stuff, e-commerce type of stuff, medical device type of stuff. I had a, I think at one point I had like a little landscaping company, just random things like that, that I've always kind of gotten into. And like the post you're talking about is um, so I think it was something along the lines, like uh, 20 side hustles for five, 20 great yeah. side or something like that. Um, I, a lot of guys that I work with came from the trades. I didn't have that background. And as somebody that I've I've flipped houses before in the past, that's another thing I've done. Finding someone that is good and honest and does good work at a fair price in the trades is borderline impossible, at least down around here it is. And so if you're, if you're a firefighter that has basic skills, maybe plumbing, electrical, carpentry, whatever it is, go do that on the side if that's something you enjoy. And the, the beauty of what we do is there's so many other things you can do. And if you'd like, if you decide that at some point being a firefighter is too much, or it's just not for you anymore. It's kind of lost its luster. Move on to that. The other thing too is, I encourage people, depending on what they decide to do or what what they want to pursue. For for example, at the time of us recording this, I'm going into my last year of law school. Um, oh, I just, okay. That, yeah, that's something I've I'd wanted to do for a while, and I just decided I was going to jump in and do it. Um, mm-hmm. I know lots of firefighters who went to law school while they were, you know, in the first five, 10 years of their career. And then they just kind of did it on the side when they retired. They just went into having their own clients and their own firm and, and yeah. just okay. going on from there. Cause eventually at the end of the day, this is a physical job and eventually your body will not be capable of doing it anymore. So then what do you just rely on a government pension system who doesn't have your, in? you want to talk about a hot button issue? Talk about pensions. But at the end of the day, it's managed by people who don't know you. They don't know your name. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything about you. While, yes, they say that they want to protect it and for future generations, at the end of the day, if something tragic happens or something catastrophic happens in the economy, it's... Sorry about your luck. So I encourage. I think it's. I think it's a great idea for people to develop some sort of side hustle, some sort of skills, some sort of education, anything else. You know, whatever it is, whatever suits your fancy, and do something like that in addition to being a firefighter.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the piece that has been fun to talk about. So I did an episode that will air the week before we have this go live, Um, just kind of talking through why I think this is an important thing to consider. And the idea isn't that you have to create an entire new career, right? Like we can have both. Yeah. I think it's about trying to find things that bring out a side of us that are firefighting work, first response, frontline work, doesn't right like I have an entrepreneurial spirit that's not going to come out in a bureaucratic hired or volunteer-based system no it's just not right yeah. so like how do I find a place to express and expose that yeah. that feels life-giving and satisfying and helps counterbalance some of what I do and see and experience over here right yeah. mm-hmm. but also I talked a lot last time about the idea of how the pension is kind of this dangled carrot. Um, I know here that's very true where, you know, if I just do like five more years, seven more years, it'll add up to being that much more and then I'll be able to retire that much more comfortably. But how much are we sacrificing for that five or seven more years for that like couple of thousand dollars more in a year? And is it worth it Um, when we could? Be investing time and energy and finances potentially into creating something that's a bit more uh, certain in terms of we are making it happen. We have some control around making it happen instead of hoping that it works out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the pension's a tricky one.
1: It's very tricky. And you want to get people fired up, go walk into a firehouse and start telling them that the pension might not be the best thing. They get get real fired up. I did a video about that and I got some pretty rough responses. Um, I bet. And I I get it. I understand why people don't like that because the idea of the pension is brilliant, right? You put in your time and then you're taken care of for life. Who wouldn't want that? Mm -hmm. But we don't live in a perfect world where economic crashes happen and there's economic greed and there's all sorts of other issues that happen. And you're putting your future and your livelihood and your ability to care for yourself and your family in somebody else's hands. And me personally, I'm not comfortable with that. I know all the arguments as to why people love pensions. Um, I had a friend who was an attorney at a very large law firm and he referred to it as golden handcuffs because when you come out of law school as a 25 year old kid, he went straight in and went all the way through. Um, And you're making $180,000 a year as a 25-year-old who's not married, has no real responsibilities, may or may not have school debt. Like You don't know what to do with that much money, but they're working you 14 hours a day. And so then you do that for four or five years, and now you're 30, and now you have a wife or a husband, and now you have kids. And now you decide, hey, maybe I don't want to work 14 hours a day anymore. But am I going to walk away from a quarter million dollar a year salary? Totally. Golden handcuffs. We're trapped. And it's the same sort of thing. Like, hey, my back hurts. I, I'm dealing with struggling with alcoholism or whatever because yeah. I'm stressed out. But I've only got four more years in the pension. And that what a terrible, mm-hmm. in my opinion, that is a terrible way to go about just living your life in general. Because who knows yeah. if you'll make it well- those four years.
0: Well, that's the thing. And like, and then what happens after that? Like, I think the number of times I've heard this story of, and then I knew the guy who did that four more years and then retired. And then like 10 months later dropped dead, right? Yeah. Like all the time for what, all for what are we doing this? Yep. So like, if we're, it's kind of like, how do we work it backwards? Right? right. So if my goal is to retire and have this kind of a life, how do we work that backwards? Because if I'm waiting for the pension in order to financially afford this lifestyle, but to do that, I'm sacrificing my physical and mental health so that I'm actually not going to be able to do any of these things or enjoy them anyways, right? Like I talked to some of my firefighters in particular, cause it is extraordinarily physical medics as well. There's a lot of like lifting moving yeah. that is so not good on your body
1: right. um,
0: that they tell me about, well, when I retire, Lindsay, I'm going to travel and we're going to do a bike across Europe trip. And right. I'm looking at them like you can hardly sit in this chair.
1: Yeah, you can't walk. You are so I, uncomfortable. I get on a bike. You do, yeah. What? Right, right. <laughs> oh yeah, crazy. Yeah, and, and that to to me, and I'm sure some firefighter out there will hear me say this and they'll get really mad, and that's fine. the <laughs> the The worst part about that is it's it's sad, not because of anything about them, but because it's a mindset of. Yeah. well I'm locked into this thing and I'm stuck whereas you're not stuck you can go do whatever you want to do you have you know in order to be a firefighter you have to have a base level of skills you need to be able to talk to people well that's a lot of so- that's a soft skill that a lot of people don't have um yeah. you need to be able to problem solve right like you've got all these soft skills you might not be a computer programmer or something else or whatever else it is that you're into but the opportunity is out there for you. And especially where we are in the Western world, Canada, U S mm-hmm. like the opportunities there. And so you don't have to live like that, but you've been conditioned and taught to believe that you're, you're locked in and you can't leave this. I can't, you know, I can't get in and out of this chair, but I'm going to hop on a bike and bike across the continent. No, you're not. That's just wishful thinking. Um, totally. yeah. So I, I, it, 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 I used to I used to when I would hear people say things like that, be like, what are you talking about? But now it's just like, oh man, that bums me out because I I know you can do different and you're just convinced that you can. Totally. So
0: well, and I think there's this really hard thing that we do in our culture where we're so in we're like back to awareness again. I think that's our theme of the day. <laughs> um We're so in the like hustle culture, right? Like we're like mindlessly just like, I wake up in the morning, I eat my breakfast, I go to work, I do the things, I come home, I put the kids to bed, I have a glass of wine or a beer, I watch a show, I go to bed, I do it all again the next day, right? Mm -hmm. And we just live this thing on repeat that we're not really like stopping and asking the question of, is this working for me? Do I like this? Is this bringing out great things in me? Am I going to get to the future I'm hoping for by just like continuing to live in this groundhog day? And the really hard thing is that we can know that this isn't actually great for us, but we're not going to do anything about it until we're so far down that road that we do feel really trapped. Because now I am physically limited. I'm mental health related, limited. And so to think about using any of those soft skills and translating them to a new job feels impossible. Right. So I'm going to just stay stuck. Which is, I think, why this feels really important to me to talk about as more of like a preventative protective piece. Like I said in the episode last week, I don't care if you love your job, you still need to think about this. Because just because you love your job right now does not mean you're going to love it forever, or that it's going to love you forever. Right? And so if we put in the energy on the front end, to prepare having side skills, then and if we could take the time to kind of step back every once in a while and do a bit of a self check-in, we could maybe catch this way sooner, make stronger decisions from a place of better power yeah. and be more skill prepared to make a transition so that it doesn't feel like we're just trapped in yeah. this thing.
1: Yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. And you I mean you and you touched on a lot right there. Having options is the best thing that you can do. And yeah even as a firefighter like in the work of a firefighter you always want to have options you're pulling a backup line you're looking for points of egress like there you need options and totally. to not carry that over that line of thinking over to your life whether it be life skills or or anything else I, I, that's it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me but i understand why people why people do that and why people think like that the other thing that you said was the idea of hustle culture and to to be mm-hmm. to be fair i might be a little bit of that person But I chose to do that because I like doing that. I don't like the alternative. But what I have found, and I'd I'd be interested to hear what you thought, is that our culture doesn't encourage, and maybe this is kind of what you were getting at, um, the idea of just hit the brakes for a minute, disconnect from everything, turn off your cell phone, turn off the TV, turn off Spotify or podcasts, unless you're listening to this podcast. You know, turn, turn off. This one's good. Yeah, yeah stop what you're doing and think about why you're doing what you're doing. Totally. Are, are you a firefighter because you love the job and this is, gives you a sense of satisfaction? Or are you doing this just because you need to make it three more years so that you can get some pension check? Yes. Who knows what's going to happen five years after that. That's not encouraged. I've noticed. And that's something I had to, I struggled with personally yeah. of, I found that I was doing all these things and I was like, I don't even, man, I don't even like a lot of this. I'm not talking about firefighting. I'm mm-hmm. talking about other mm-hmm. things. And now I'm like, I'm a pretty strict regimented guy, but that's just how I operate. That's how, that's how I have to work. Um, yeah. But yeah, nobody ever sits you down and maybe that's the fault of the education system. Maybe that's parent, you know, I don't know, sits you down and says like, stop. It's okay if you're not constantly busy. It's okay if you're not constantly stimulated. Think about what you want and sort that out before you start mindlessly going about doing all these things. And once you figure out, figure it out, you know, groundhog it till you get what you want. But yeah. right now, you gotta figure it out,
0: yeah, I mean, I think I talk a lot about pause points, right? So yeah. um, I talk about this a lot. I have a course called Beating the Breaking Point for first okay. responders and frontline workers. It's a resilience training program. Okay, um, And in the course, we talk about how to use a tool that's actually available for free. It's called the Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide. It's on our website all the time. And it's a bit of a self-assessment process for where we're at in terms of burnout and compassion, fatigue, and related kinds of concerns. So it's like a scaling system. And at the end, it gives you a bit of a like, you fall into this category or this category or this category, And depending on where you fall, this is likely what you're noticing. This is what you should be working on to try to shift it a bit and back it up. Um, And then it's got some extra resources. We talk about in the course how to use that tool on a repeat. So like quarterly, take 20 minutes and do it again. Because it's not a static measure. Like you're not like, oh, I wasn't burnt out today. So I'll never be burnt out. Like we have to do regular routine check-ins with ourselves to know where we're at at given points in time. And so that we can make preventative, um, intentional kinds of choices about what we need to do next. Like I, I noticed that, you know, last month when I took this quiz, I was pretty free and clear. I was doing okay. But then there's been a lot of calls. I did some overtime. There's been a lot of extra. Plus, in my personal life, there's been all these other pieces. And now I'm, like, teetering into the next category. What do I need to do to proactively work at moving myself back that other direction so that I'm not continuing on this downward path, right? Yeah. And so it's this piece of, like, if we – If we can do these routine check-ins with ourselves, whether it's burnout specific and with that assessment tool, or it's like just life, right? Like, how do I feel about where my life is? Do I feel like I'm on track with where I hope to go? And again, how do I work that backwards? If I hope to be over here in a year's time, five years time, retirement time, am I doing the things today that move me in that direction? And if not, why not? Like, what are the barriers to that? What am I missing? What's getting in my way? And how do I work against those to try to move me there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah. Fair. Okay. So my wrap up question for you and for everybody always is if you could speak to new and budding professionals in your industry. What would you want them to know and consider as they enter this work Um, or for those who are kind of like early and fresh in it in terms of what their alternatives are and how they can be doing that proactive piece any better? Like any additional thoughts beyond what we've talked about so far?
1: Additional thoughts as to what they, as far as how they could grow in their career or how they could be more cognizant of of what life's going to be like 10 years into that career, 20 years into that career. What, Let's say
0: all of the above. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Sure>. <laughs> like, yeah, Give so,
0: me what you got.
1: <laughs> no, so there's, so, well, that there's, yeah, no, that there's a lot there. So as far mm-hmm. as growing in your career, um, every department, uh, I, well, I shouldn't say that every department, because I don't know every department, most departments and all of the ones I've ever come across, you're going to find people that are not your friend that don't care about mm-hmm. you, that aren't very friendly, that are whatever you want to call them, toxic, call it, call it what you want. But you're also going to find people that would love the opportunity to pass on their knowledge to you. Make mm-hmm. sure you listen. Um, and this, I guess this is something that's top of mind because I recently, I, a long time ago, I made a video talking about rules for, I think I called it rules for riders, something like that. Because a lot of EMT and medic students will come do ride time at fire departments because we run EMS mm-hmm. calls. And I've seen EMS students come in dressed absolutely ridiculous and they have a terrible attitude and they give people a hard time and it, it and you ask them, well, what do you want to do once you're done with medical school? I want to get on a fire department. Well, if, if if that's what you want to do, you look like an idiot. You know, you need to change <laughs> your... Yeah, I mean, what you do, you, I mean, I there's it. one guy that came in with a black... Uh, a black hoodie all gothed out with an anarchy symbols all over the place. You're walking into a government building with anarchy symbols on you. What? Who told you that was a good idea? And so it, yeah. that's the kind of stuff of, you know, pay attention to how you project yourself because that will be noticed and people will pick up on that in our culture where, you know, it's it, our culture shifting where you're not allowed to say that, but people still do. And when you walk into an interview, if you haven't gone through one of those yet, a fire interview, the second they see you, they're going to judge you based on the way that you look, the way that you act, the way that you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you step onto a new crew, if you get hired, everybody on your crew is going to do the same thing. And then when you're a firefighter five, 10 years from now, you're going to do the same thing. We all do. Totally. It. So be careful of how you present yourself, especially when you're in that student role, because it's making that first impression as a student or somebody that's doing ride long time um, could go So far for you getting, getting into the career. Once you're in the career, it is very easy, especially if you work in a situation where a lot of your work is repetitive. Uh, we get, we, they're called lift assists where you go and you, someone falls down you assist them getting back up. Um, it's very easy to get complacent when you do any sort of repetitive work. Try your best not to do that. I'm guilty of it. Everybody's guilty of it. Um, that, so that would be my, those would be my two big things uh, for people to getting into the industry as far as, as far as uh, recommendations for them, if they're looking to, Hey, okay, I've been a firefighter for a couple of years. I'm not sure if this is for me. Um, number one, don't let people, don't let people give you a hard time about that. Um, when mm-hmm. I first got hired in, in fire, I worked for a department and I got hired there. And three weeks later, the department where I currently work at offered me the job. And so three weeks into it, I'm going through the whole probation thing. I had to go to the chief and say, Hey, just so you know, I'm, I'm leaving. Sorry about that. And most Mm -hmm. of the people that I came across were, Hey, that's awesome. Congratulations. Best of luck to you. Happy for you. There were a handful of people that would refuse to look at me, speak to me. This just were Mm -hmm. for no reason, right? It, It doesn't affect them in any way, shape or form. It's just this, I don't know if it's ego. I don't know what it is, but Don't let people give you a hard time about that. Now, whatever you decide that else you want to get into, don't let it cut into your ability to be proficient at your job, but explore other things. Like there's life outside of the fire department. There's life outside of your, you know, 10 square mile or 30 square mile or 50 square mile district or city that you work in. Like go do other things, go expose yourself to other things because if you work on a fire department, you'll find that old guy or old girl who's been there for a long time and just has a crap attitude. They're miserable. Don't be that person. Go try other totally. things. Go look at other things. And if you decide that the fire service isn't for you, it's okay. Just go mm-hmm. do something else. There's there's nothing wrong with that at all.
0: Yeah. I love that you named some of the pieces around like um, firefighting, having so many other skills that you can bridge to other kinds of work. Yeah. Uh, and I love the idea of kind of finding ways to counterbalance the version of me I do when I'm doing my firefighting work versus other things that are just like a part of who I am. Um, I like that you shared that piece about you personally having an entrepreneurial spirit. I think that that's a really cool piece that we can kind of go, like, again, if we take the pause points to go like, who am I? What do I like? What is life-giving for me? And am I finding ways to satisfy that? well, my work doesn't do that. So then what else would, and how do I bridge to that? Even if it isn't necessarily money-making, like even if it's just a hobby, that hobby probably gives me a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that helps to counterbalance the weight of some of the work that I do on those days where it's like, I don't know the end of that story. I don't know if we did good work or bad work. I don't know if that person lived or died. I don't know. Like there's so much uncertainty that exists in that kind of work. Um, So something where I feel like I do get to see productivity and an end result and some of those things can feel really helpful and concrete for us to help counterbalance that. And so just getting to explore and understand more about who we are as whole people as opposed to just as my like worker self and considering how that could theoretically bridge into something that can be an escape hatch if we need it down the road, but doesn't necessarily have to be. Because I could theoretically remain more sustainable in this work if I have something that helps me feel more filled out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a funny story about that because you you mentioned something about something that gives you more of a sense of accomplishment or or, or feeling. In my interview, and I, I don't know how much mm-hmm. you are familiar with the fire the firefighting interview mm-hmm. process. Is it? it can, it's it's not your average job interview. And there's a lot of things on the website and on the and on my my channel I cover a lot of stuff about that because it's the most important part And they you know, you get this the same general basic questions tell us about yourself Why do you want to be a firefighter? What's the role of the fire department? All that kind of stuff But the the department I work at the last question I got in my interview and I was I was all prepared I was ready to go. They said fast forward 25 years You're getting ready to retire and you're looking back on your career. What's one thing? you want to do or have done that you would be proud of? And talk mm-hmm. about not being ready for that question, right? I'm thinking, a pale. big question. Yeah, so I would encourage people, young or old, into the fire service or not into the fire service, ask yourself that same question, whether it be firefighting related or even life-related. And you're not gonna have the answer, it's not gonna take you 15 minutes to figure that out. It's gonna take you a while mm-hmm. to figure that out and that's okay. Um, but yeah. that is that is a really, that's a heavy question. But try and look at it like that and try not to lose that perspective. And if you get asked that in an interview, you're going to have to think on your feet pretty quick. Be
0: ready for it.
1: Right, right. It's out out there. It's out there.
0: Yeah, fair. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Mike. It's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you and I've really valued your insights. I think that our audience will as well.
1: Yeah, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on. And uh, it was great talking to you too. Awesome.